As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Hey, welcome everyone to another edition of Dental Wealth Nation. And I am so excited about today. I don't know about you, but Oftentimes, I feel like I don't have enough time to get everything done in the day. And, and chances are, you may feel that way too. And, and time goes so quick. And we're going to all find ourselves at the end of our career ready to exit our business faster and sooner than we've ever imagined. And that's why today is so important. And by the time we finish today, you're going to know why time is your friend when you're looking to, to exit your business. You're going to walk away. You're going to have insights into the exit planning process and an awareness of, of things that you can do to get ready for your exit, even if it's a decade or more off. But most importantly of all, you're going to feel excited about the potential of your business and motivated to take action so you can maximize your exit. And when it comes to helping dentists do the, the planning and getting ready for that, that preparation, one of my favorite guys out there is Carrie Fry. Carrie's a member of my virtual family office, and he's an NCAA college coach. And, and we're going to talk about that. And you're going to find out how that actually plays into uh, business planning. Super excited to, to build that tie-in. But what I love about Carrie is he understands that every single exit is different. Sure, there's similarities. Sure, there are things in common. But each one of you, you're an owner. You have your own unique goals and objectives, and they're all special. And that's what I love about Carrie. He wants to ensure and help you make sure that your lifetime of hard work pays off. Carrie, welcome to the show. Tim, great to be here. Thank you so very much. I do have one correction. I'm an NCAA football official, not oh, a coach. Cool. So okay. you know, the one that uh, people in the stands aren't happy about most of the time, but uh, you know, have a good time doing it. All right. Well, well, we're going to dive into that because it actually does play a role in exit planning, and and, and your minds are going to be blown when you when you hear this. But uh, g give me a little bit of background. How did you start getting involved in in transition planning? Yeah, you know, I have been around the financial services industry as an advisor, as an executive, a distribution leader with various companies. And uh, began to work with a lot of affluent, high net worth individuals, which happened to be mostly business owners. And, and what I found is that, you know, there was no other group of professionals that had a passion for what they did. Uh, they, they built, they all seemed to build something special because they put their passion into it every day. The blood, sweat, tears, they build something special. And unfortunately, uh, wealth does not pass to subsequent generations very effectively, very efficiently. A lot of wealth is gone as time goes by. Uh, a lot of business owners build businesses that uh, they don't leave in the hands of the people 
uh, in the best condition or the best way, or that's going to perpetuate in the way that they'd like to create a, a legacy. Um, owners want to be able to monetize the value of what they've created and, and live their best life as a result. Oftentimes, that, that that's a, a clear objective. And a lot of these owners just didn't have the the guidance or the direction or, or know where to go to to get this information. They were going to maybe their accountants or their attorneys. Not, nothing wrong with those folks, but they weren't those professionals really weren't equipped to create a roadmap and a strategy that was individualized for each business owner um, based on their objectives to, to live their best life as a, as a result of the business that they created. So as a result, I uh, began to shift my, my work into this area. I'm part of a firm, a, local, a national firm located in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we do nothing but uh, business transition planning, uh, business consulting, business growth. Uh, that's all. That's all we do. Uh, we're not we're not involved in uh, 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 product solutions or uh, the the uh, the selling of the business, the brokering of the business. Our only objective is to work for the business owner in creating an individualized plan. And we've been doing this for 23 years, Samad, and uh, uh, been involved in thousands of plans. And and while everybody has some similarities, you know, they're all maybe trying to do some similar things. You've got to work within, you know, tax laws and, and gifting laws and federal estate tax and, and, and just stuff that you have to, to be concerned with. Every plan is unique. Everybody's objectives are unique. Everybody's situation is unique. And that's the fun part, being able to tap into that and build in a plan that's that's right for them. Well, right. You talk about having a plan for the the exit. And I know, you know, oftentimes we may just be thinking, well, my plan is to exit the business and like, <laughs> right. Right? like, like I want to get out and I don't want to pay a lot of tax. Like, like what yeah. other things should I be even considering well, when I'm thinking about exiting, especially if it's a decade or more off? So so what does that plan actually look like? Well, uh, a couple of things. Now, first of all, I know, we all know that every business is going to transition someday, willingly or not. Um, I also know statistically from research that our firm has done that 81% of business owners want to quit working in their business in the next 10 years. Um, so the the uh, uh, desire to figure out how I'm going to do that is, is there for nearly every business owner. Um, I, I further believe that businesses are built with the end in mind, that owners look at that and say, okay, I, I'm going to create something special. I'm going to put my, my blood, sweat, tears. I'm going to put you know, my financial risk and all the other things that go along with building a business um, so that I have something special at the end that I can either pass on, create a legacy, monetize in some way. I don't think business owners start out uh, with the, the goal of working their butts off to just make a living. There's easier, easier ways to make a living than that. So I think that when you look at that as a backdrop and think about, okay, uh, that's where we're at. So what is our plan? Oftentimes when I talk to business owners, I may say, I'm going to sell to a third party in the dental space, maybe going to a DSO or, or another practice, some kind of an aggregation. Okay, great. What's your plan? That's an objective. That's not a plan. Okay. Um, I, I work a lot with uh, family businesses or businesses that are being transferred to partners or legacy junior junior people coming up. Uh, I'm going to transfer this business to my daughter. Great. What's your plan? Um, and, and that's really where time can come in. The, the longer that we have as a roadmap 
uh, to create, to orient ourselves towards a, a strategy, the better off we're going to be. Um, one uh, uh, secret I can just share with you for any insider, I'm talking insiders, key employees who could be taken over, uh, junior partners, family members, um, and, and so forth with the business. They have one thing in common. They never have money. Okay, so um, it, it's often very attractive when you have that outside buyer, that corporate entity coming in who who can maybe pay top dollar. But a, a lot of business owners, a lot of dentists, a lot of uh, medical practitioners that I work with, you know, they're not as comfortable with that in some situations because they they have something unique about their practice or their people. And they say, you know, the culture would change. Something would just not be right. That, that's just not the route I want to go for others. That's absolutely the right route. So the more time that we have to be in front of that, to prepare for that, to actually do a plan, the better off that we're going to be. Um, many owners, when they're thinking about building a uh, or, or selling to a third third party of any kind, any, any, any entity, uh, they're usually looking at how do they obtain the maximum dollars. And one of the things that they can uh, really do with that is to be in front, working with a firm like ours and identifying what we refer to as value drivers. Now, the value of anything is what anybody's willing to pay for it, just plain and simple. It's, it's not a simple function of our EBITDA is this, our uh, multiple should be this based on our industry. It's certainly uh, uh, a fallacy in the dental space. It's a fallacy in any business. Uh, we often get trapped as business owners because we begin to look at our, our buddies, maybe at the club or other friends or other professionals, and they say, well, they got this for their practice. Uh, my practice is better or you know bigger or whatever, so I should be getting that. The value is any, what anybody's willing to pay. And the there are several factors that make a business more effective from outside perspective. And that's that's what I'm referring to as value drivers. Uh, the presence or absence of those can significantly increase the value of the business or, or decrease the value. Uh, coincidentally, these are the same elements that should be there um, it, even if the business is gonna be passed internally uh, to a child or another insider or you know uh, a junior partner. It's the same elements because they, um, uh, help to increase the perpetuity of the business, the healthiness of the business. So um, it, it could be something as simple as looking at those elements, putting the pieces in place with the ultimate plan being down the road. So when that time comes, they're ready. Too many business owners will get to a point where they say, okay, hey, I'm thinking I need to slow down. Uh, I, I want to work differently. I, I want to sell. What are the market conditions right now for that to occur? Is it, is it the best time? Have they done the things um, in terms of like implementation of value drivers that are um, uh, positioning the business in the best way, uh, taking actions to uh, address those things before that's time to sell? That's creating a plan. That's creating a strategy. And again, if we're trying to go to an insider, remember they have no money. So if we need to monetize the value of the business, how do we use strategies like deferred compensation or, or any number of other ways that we can begin to accumulate some assets so those are going to be there when we're ready to exit so that we can monetize in some way? Wow. Well, and some of these strategies can be really simple, right? You talk about just the, the business continuing on after the sale. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple as making sure you've got a lease agreement in place so that the new landlord can't kick you out. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, so, so these can be very simple things or like other things you mentioned, you know, ways to, to start building incentive structures so that your most important and key employees stay on because well, that increases the value. If you're yeah, key absolutely. when we talk about these value drivers and the, and the way that uh, the business is going to be more attractive from an outside buyer perspective or healthier from an inside transfer, you know, there's about 17 that we, we typically look at, but the number one factor is a stable, motivated leadership team that's going to be there post-transition. And, you know, in, in the dental space, that could be office managers, GM, CFO, uh, any number of folks could be uh, junior uh, associates that are not partners. Um, I, I was recently working with a veterinary practice, uh, very large, uh, with um, I think eight or nine different uh, 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 veterinarians. And um, only one of them had any desire to have ownership. I'm a little surprised by that, but but that was reality. And so what we were able to do is make sure that we have those other, other veterinarians who are going to be there, who are going to be generating the revenue, that we have them locked up and committed to the practice through incentive planning so that um, when the new ownership comes in, they're going to stay. That's that's critical, critical factor. Hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways to potentially do that. Some of them could involve some equity planning. Uh, I, I prefer to use non-equity options, uh, at least at first uh, strategies, uh, maybe like phantom stock, stock appreciation rights, deferred compensation, um, so that people can maybe uh, prove a track and, and earn equity uh, if they um, if that's in the cards. In some places, equity uh, having other minority owners is just not in the cards. But if it is, maybe a path to get to equity. So we're not giving away equity too quickly and having to buy back those minority interests from tax reasons. We don't have time to get in that today. You'd be paying a dollar for every dollar share that you try to repurchase in minority uh, stocks. So sure, you, you may want to stay away from that. So uh, a lot of owners, though, they, they believe in order to attract and retain people and to get them excited and motivated is to give them ownership. That's probably not the best way to align with their own transition objectives. Yeah. So I mean, why do you think a lot of owners really don't engage in this kind of planning? Because I know what I typically see, and I get a lot of phone calls is, hey, I just entered into you know a transaction to sell my business. Yeah. I'm ready to start doing some tax planning. <laughs> and it's, at that point, it's a little too late. It's like asking Santa what you want for Christmas on December 26th. <laughs> Yeah, our kids still do that, right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's a great question, Tim. I I, I believe personally that uh, owners don't realize that this kind of a resource is available to them or available to them in, in a, uh, uh, a pretty cost-efficient manner. And we talk about that a little later on as well. But, um, you know, they, they just don't know where to go for advice. I, I've seen various statistics that uh, less than 19% of business owners actually have a plan, a, uh, a transition plan. And I even think a lot of those are transition objectives, as I touched on earlier, not really plans that are behind that. And the result of that is that the business is not going to uh, be as successful in that transition or the, the dollars aren't going to be realized as, as much as they could. So I, I think they don't know where to turn. They're, they're not sure where to go. They're, they're afraid of maybe what the cost could be in um, you know, trying to get this kind of advice. Again, I think a lot of them go to the attorneys and the accountants who, who may do elements or, or, or reactionary planning, but they're not 
strategist to be doing the whole thing. When we work with uh, a client, we kind of serve as the, uh, I hate to use the football analogy, kind of a quarterback of that transition plan. Other advisors are definitely in play. There's the tax attorney, the uh, corporate attorney, the tax advisors, the the financial advisors, the wealth managers, the insurance advisors, other people who all fit into the plan. What we're going to do is we're going to coordinate, build a plan and engage them so that they can do what they do. Uh, Too often, if they're the only advisors who are trying to give advice to the business owner, they're just doing a little bit of an element and it's just not sinking. It just doesn't go very well. Yeah, right. And there's a big difference between making a referral versus having a coordinated team of uh, elite professionals. And and this is one thing I've learned by studying the super rich and family offices. The the super rich, they establish family offices, which are teams of the best of the best individuals serving that family. And one of the reasons the super rich do that is they want a coordinated team, not just referrals back and forth, because what you do in one part of your plan impacts another part. And you got to have those professionals who are actually collaborating mm-hmm. on these things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I was actually reminded about that uh, this morning. When you're working with professionals who also work together, who understands each other's role, they understand each other's business, it even goes that much better. The synchronicity is just is, is that much better. If you're um, making a referral saying, hey, we need a, a corporate attorney to draft up something. Do you have a corporate attorney, Mr. Bus- Mr. Mrs. Business Owner? Well, no, I don't. Well, uh, let's go find one. Okay. Versus, you know, if we if you have one and you're comfortable working with them, we want them to be part of the team because they know you, they know their bu- your business, they they fit in. We want to uh, bring them in and integrate them to our team. But if that person doesn't exist or doesn't have the right skill sets or uh, for whatever reason we need to bring in, let's bring our person to the table that we all know how to work with and we'll just be that much more efficient and 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 less clunky along the way. Yeah, no, so so true. And you know, a couple of times you've you've mentioned this idea of you know, really the the difference between a plan versus just kind of having some tactics or a mm-hmm. strategy. Can can we yeah. dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, well certainly. And and what I would share for you is that when we work with any business owner, we create a written plan. And and the written plan Every advisor has access to, everybody sees. Uh, we then focus, once we create the plan, these plans can be 40, 60, 80 pages long. I mean, I don't want to just say they're fluff because they're not, but I mean, depending on the complexity of the situation, we're going to map out all the things that need to take place and, and what we're doing and, and, and so forth. So every advisor, every person involved, they, they, they're, they're singing from the same hymnal. They're, they're, they're playing from the same playbook. Um, from there, we focus on implementation once we create the plan. And we typically take, by the way, 60, 90 days to create a plan. We um, then focus on the implementation of the plan, you know, putting the elements in place. Even if you're looking to transition five, 10 years from now, maybe we identify the objective that we need to uh, create a deferred compensation plan for the, the key employee or, or uh, uh, an incentive design plan for um uh, a new physician who we want to bring into the business to be a junior partner and and ultimately um, a partner and a potential successor. Whatever that is, that may be a, a years down the road um, uh, execution of that, but we're going to put the plan in place and, and implement that and be ready for that. So then we focus on implementation from there. Um, so that's what we do in the creation. Now, um, and then, again, coordinate the advisors and their various functions. There's a lot that goes into that. What I will tell you is there's a framework that we follow. And I think it's very important to share that because um, 
we 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 can look at elements as they may apply to, to certain situations and, and go deeper in some than, than others, depending on, a, on an environment. But, but we generally are going to follow this, these seven steps in our framework. The first step is all about the creation and the clarity of um, the business owner's exit objectives or their transition objectives. And that might seem very simple because, well, of course, you got to start with what are we trying to do, but really diving into what is the timing? What is the cadence when the individual wants to begin to maybe work differently and begin to turn over the operation of the business in some way, maybe ease out of that, or, or are they just going to stop and, uh, or just going to stop that one day? What are their needs post-ownership? What are their financial needs um, for retirement or the life that they want to create? You know, it's interesting. I know about what do you need from a minimum? Okay. That's, that's kind of the start point. You need this to, to live the lifestyle that you want. But if that's, you know, whatever, if $2 million is going to satisfy that need, but you've built a business that's worth $20 million, well, wouldn't you have a better life if you realize the value of that, that other 20 million, right? So how do we, how do we figure that out? So it's, it's what are your needs and, and really what do you want from that? And, and how are we tracking there? How do we create that? Then we focus on the desired route that they may have for their succession or transition. And oftentimes it's a, well, I'd like to do this, but I just don't know how that's going to happen. Um, again, we don't worry about, we're not, we're not about the how now. What do you want to have? What, what is ideal for you? And, and, I, and I want to almost pause there a little on the, the, what do you want to happen? Because, right, I spend a lot of time in, in discovery and getting right. to know my clients and what's important to them. And, and I find that sometimes my role has to actually be helping them figure out what they want. And it is. So do you find that too? There, sometimes there's a lot of uncertainty yeah. over what you actually want to have happen. Well, all the time. And, and, and that usually comes from, uh, I have an idea, but as soon as I, I take a step to how do I make that happen? I get stuck. I don't know where to go. And I just, it, 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 I just get stuck right there and I can't go any further. Um, although not a medical practice or a dental practice, uh, I recently were, I have been working with, still ongoing, I'm meeting with them actually tomorrow morning, a uh, client that has a concrete company. And uh, they had the idea for a lot of years that they were gonna sell that to a third party um, and, and uh, uh, a friendly competitor. Um, when the time came, they said, hey, you know, I think I wanna slow down the way I'm working. Uh, the offers were about half of what the business was really valued. Mm -hmm. And so then that made the owner pivot to go, okay, I need to think about something else. I can pull that money out in a number of years and still have all the assets. So why would I do that? So then be shifted to more family transition. Well, family's not ready. Uh, who, what about the other family members? This is a second generation business now going to the third. What about the minority shareholders? Every time this owner started going down, well, what about this? He got stuck and it all did was keep him up at night. And, and so when we came in, began to talk to him, he's like, gosh, this is great. This is all the stuff I need help in figuring out. Okay. We're not going to decide that for him. We're just going to help him take down the path and then help him understand if we take this path, what that implication is or how we might be able to do that. Okay. Kids aren't ready. Great. We'll create a path for them to get ready if that's what we're going to do. Okay. Next, let's go on to this next piece. Right. So um, yeah, that, that, Piece. I mean, it, it it almost seems um, so easy to to go in the framework, but it really is where the rubber meets the road and where we spend a lot of time and energy. Um, yeah. So the second step in the process is very critical. And what I find 
to be extremely, extremely valuable for owners. And it's uh, the completion of a business valuation. We do business valuations. We do uh, independent valuations. We have a, a CPA on our team who, 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 who does these, uh, or we do uh, in a different methodology. We, we've got a couple of different ways to approach it. But the idea is that you know what your business is valued at from an outside perspective. It takes that um, uh, affinity for my business because it's a great business. It's got to be worth this kind of out and looks at that independent those independent variables. And, and oftentimes that's our benchmark. We're oftentimes at a place that the business is valued at one level, but the owner needs it to be uh, at the next level or, or to another place. So that gets into, okay, how do we close that gap? How do we grow the value of the business? So I touched on that earlier. It's the, it's the implementation of value drivers and the look at uh, the presence or absence of these value drivers, which can significantly affect the value of a, uh, the the purchase price of the business. Remember, value is what anybody's willing to pay for it. So, and, and once again, the, these value drivers aren't necessarily just top line revenue items either. It's not, no, not just, okay, right? Because I, I think there may be some confusion around that when we talk about drivers of value. We yeah. think, oh, I just need to grow the enterprise value. And I need more EBITDA and I need more this. But but there's really other ways to increase the value. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned the first one being that uh, uh, the presence of stable, motivated, retained leadership team that's going to be their post management. I could say something as simple as, um, you know, if if an owner is doing a lot of EBITDA um, and a lot of revenue, but they are the business and when they walk away, there's not much there. There's no value. OK, um, and I see sometimes see that with medical practices. Um, I, I recently was working with a client who uh, happened to be a builder. Uh, they, they were doing $30 million of revenue and had something like a 30% margin. They were making really good money. Um, he had four staff. Okay, he, he basically did architecture and design and built very custom homes, very high-end homes, killing it, doing very well. Um, I asked him, okay, well, who, who's, who's doing the business besides you? There's nobody. Okay. And, you know, he was doing some pieces, but everything else was subcontractors. You know, wow. you got something that's, you know, maybe bringing in $10 million a year of, after, you know, of, of, of revenue, of money, of take home. And he is, he's got nothing. It's not worth anything. Nobody's going to buy that. Um, his only solution really was to bring along somebody who could come up and be him in the future so that it, he duplicates that and then he has something okay but he, he's not going to be able to do that very quickly so maybe if his timeline's a year or two probably not going to happen so yeah. we got to be careful about that so and that's just one of the simple elements you know what is the business and what's the driving of the business and and, and how how is that business going to continue now beyond the incentive planning that we touched on uh, earlier in, in, in that critical factor to retain the key employees. We also think about um, uh, several other key factors that you should be aware of. A big one is that you have operating systems that are in place that improve cash flow, improve sustainability. Uh, oftentimes, we, we see the need to bring in a, uh, a fractional COO or some kind of a uh, leadership uh, education training for people who may be there so they have true operating systems. Um, that ties very closely into another one, which is uh, uh, 
proper financial controls, financial foresight and controls. You know, you want to be, if you're running things through the business, uh, club memberships, uh, boats, planes, uh, cars, uh, uh, family benefits, other things like that, which a lot of business owners do, you got to get those out uh, for it to be attractive. And those really should be out for two years uh, before it can come back and bite you. Um, mm. Otherwise, you have to get a little creative sometimes. Um, creative does not mean we're going to sidestep laws or, or anything like that. We just have more challenges that we may have to face. And, and some of the potential solutions may not be ideal. Uh, in those so so really once again time is your friend when you're when you're looking at exiting and the 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 more time you can spend up front you actually can reap some significant rewards when it comes time to go to market yeah well stated with that and i i think that when um you know a lot of people when they think about even business owners or other advisors who might be might be listening to this podcast will be thinking about well are my are my owners or am I as an owner or as a, a dental practitioner ready to, to exit my business? Well, maybe not. I'm not this year. So out of sight, out of mind. It's not the way to be looking. The way to be looking is someday it's going to, to transition. So how do I get control? How do I build a plan on that and, and really take control, transition on your terms instead of someone else's? And God forbid, things do happen. Um, you know, dentists... Um, have have to be good with their hands, have to be good physically, all the other things that go in with that. You know, I live in Colorado. Uh, the, the the mountains are are really packed with snow right now. People are skiing all the time. What happens if, if somebody gets hurt skiing or, or um, you know, has other physical things that they're not expecting? I can give you dozens and dozens of examples of those that have really side-railed uh, businesses because they didn't take that into consideration because in their mind, they weren't ready to take that on. Well, knowing that it's going to happen at some day, let's start now. Let's let's take a look and let's build a plan. And if it's 10 years, great. Then we have more time to make sure that we implement and, and build what we want to build. Yeah, no, it's so true, right? Everything is okay until it's not. Until it's yeah. not. That's right. Yeah. And I do see that that time and time again. So so right when you're helping the, the these businesses really put together those exit plans, right? Not just a transaction, but a, a real plan, mm -hmm. right? You're staying in your lane and doing some very specific stuff. You're not an MA firm, you're not a business broker. No. Why do you think that's important and in when it comes to the planning? Yeah. Well, and, and even continuing talking about the framework that fits in very well to our next steps, our, our next areas are all looking at uh, insider transition considerations and plans, as well as external, you know, the third party, the strategic buyers, the, the aggregators, the DSOs, the private equity, those kinds of folks that are out there. And when we're working in that space, the fact that we don't have a, a dog in the race, we, we don't have uh, any other motivation except to do what's right for the business owner based on their objectives. That's what we're being paid to do. We get paid to build a plan and to implement the plan. We do that on a project basis, okay? That's it. We don't have any other motivations. Uh, we occasionally work in the ESOP realm. Uh, we actually probably unwind more ESOPs than we actually implement, by the way. But, and I, I think that's probably the case that ESOPs were put in place where they shouldn't have been. Um, ESOP folks, I hope that none of them are listening because I love you guys and you're very important if you're out there in the right situation. But a lot of the ESOP people are like hammers. Everything looks like a nail. Everything's an ESOP. Let's put it in that box. We don't care. If you want to transfer to a family member, 
key, uh, uh, key employees, um, junior practitioners. I, I know in the dental space and in the medical space, each state's a little bit different of who can have ownership if they have to be a licensed practitioner and how much and percentages. So just kind of taking that to the side. Um, you know, be it the insiders, family members, the, uh, the the key employees, the junior partners or the partners, the ESOPs or outside strategic buyers, competitors, DSOs, private equity, um, other M&A firms, business brokers that might be out there. Whatever the right path is that's going to be the best situation for you, we're going to facilitate. We don't care where it goes. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's so important. And, and the other thing I think that you bring it that's really important is right as much as i love dental and i think there's a, a role for dental specific people i think there's also a benefit when we can bring in people who work in industries other than dental yeah and so drawing on your experience with working with other owners how can that help a dentist with their exit planning yeah i mean at the end of the day um any you know a dental practice any medical practice it is a business and um, if you're looking at from a business transition, you're selling it, you're transitioning the business, it is a business and it's got to be looked at as such. Now, um, I'm not, please don't misunderstand, I'm not minimizing the kind of care and, and the, the physical aspect that goes into any kind of a medical practice. That, that's so important. But I think too many uh, medical professionals, they, they look at their operation, their, their practice, uh, more in that vein and not as a business. Uh, mm. It's another reason that they need to have or should have uh, a good CFO, good good COO, or people who are performing those functions so that they can uh, do what they do best, which is take care of patients, uh, bring the value and the care and the passion that they have for that. But there's other people who are helping to steer it from a business perspective. And other advisors like myself who are helping saying, okay, at some point, this business is going to be worth something. How do I get there? Let me let me work with the advisors to do that and and focus on what I do, and, and not get caught up that this is just a a, a medical practice because it is a business. And, and and yeah, more directly answering that question, that's what I learned from other places. It, it doesn't matter in the big scope of things. It doesn't matter what kind of an industry or what size the business is. Okay the um, challenges that have to be overcome or addressed, the questions that need to be asked and, and the, the paths that need to be created are very similar depending on what transition path you're going to. If you're transferring to an insider, you've got the same challenges to, to address regardless of the type of the industry or the size that you're in. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to position it for a third-party sale, you've got the same issues and challenges that you need to begin to address. Now, of course, there's different subtleties and, and, and intricacies to the businesses, but um, we're, businesses are not as unique in that aspect that uh, they may believe that they are. Okay. No, interesting. And, and thank you for, for sharing that. The, the other thing I'm curious about is, is talk to me a little bit about market trends, because I, I know so often as business owners, we may think, you know, I just need to wait until the economy recovers. <laughs> or, uh, you know what, the economy is really hot right now. So I'm going to keep growing the thing and it's worth more or it's too slow. Like, like how much do current market trends and economic conditions actually influence the practice transition strategies and yeah. should they be influencing when we choose great question great question um i i'm going to give my opinion and people may feel differently than this the number one is what's your objective what's your timeline what's important to you and 
if it's, you know, I need to be out in five years because I'm going to build a quality life with my family and that's what I want, then that's what we need to do. Five years could be ideal, could be not so ideal. Um, so I'm going to say that that's going to be the number one factor. And with that being said, um, there should be awareness of the market conditions. There should be awareness of industry trends. Um, I'll say something as simple as in the last couple of years, there's been a pretty significant shift in the M&A marketplace. Um, and that's really been interest rate driven. As interest rates go up, the cost of capital is more. Um, so the companies that may be um, a little bit more loose in terms of what they would spend or what price that they would pay, maybe they're willing to pay a premium. They are willing to pay a premium because cost of capital is cheap. So if, if, if cost of, if, of money is so cheap because interest rates are low, yeah, I'll overpay you if I can you know, fit into my model with that. That's changed. Um, cost of capital is more expensive. Um, there's still, and, and through that time, uh, through COVID and, and, and post-COVID, there's a lot of money on the sidelines waiting to be deployed. Okay, that was a huge factor that was also helping to drive some of the prices in the M&A space. Um, it, now, there, there's less on the sideline, but there is still capital on the sideline. So, so it's still not bad on that front, even though interest rates are higher. But what that's done is that um, uh, the M&A marketplace has become more industry specific or more even within the industry specific type of practice focus or uh, specific niches that may complement other things that they're doing. So uh, it, it's a little bit more discretionary. Um, they're still paying good premiums. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Um, but if you were to look back and go two years ago, gosh, interest rates are low. This, this, you know, they're staying. We're not going anywhere with that before COVID, let's just say. You may have totally, you know, thought, okay, I'm going to hang on for uh, a better market condition. Maybe let, let, let's just go back to post-COVID. Interest rates were low. It, the inflation was high. Market conditions didn't feel probably very good for people. But that was actually a good time to potentially sell. So, it, it, you know, there's a lot of factors that are going to go in with that. But just in, in general market conditions, I think there should be an awareness, particularly if you have a flexible timeline. Someone's looking saying, hey, I'm looking at three to five years Let's put, put ourselves in the best position of whatever our objective is in three years. If it feels good, if it feels right, and I, as a practitioner, as a business owner, am ready to step away, then it's a good time. One factor that's often not thought about, Tim, is what are, what are owners going to be doing post-ownership? How do they feel? You know, I, I used to play competitive golf. I played on some mini tours and, and PGA sectionals and stuff like that in my younger days, but... Uh, and I'm excited about playing golf. Maybe when I uh, when I retire, play more of it. I can't. I don't know that I want to golf every day. You, you know, I might get a little old, right? Uh, going to uh, uh, you know the club or uh, playing pickleball or whatever you you're ready to do. That might get old for people very quickly, and particularly business owners because they are used to uh, uh, building. They're used to putting passion towards things. Uh, they they often find that they don't feel that they have purpose. They don't feel like uh, they're contributing the way they want to. Um, so part of even creating the exit plan is what does life look after 
after ownership for you and how do you get there how do you, how do you make that emotional adjustment or mental adjustment and, and and maybe you're doing other things maybe you're staying on as an advisor maybe you're consulting maybe you're doing volunteer work um what, whatever that might be you, you got to factor that in and so if somebody is looking and saying i'm ready to sell in three years because the conditions are great are they ready on all the other fronts if they're not not going to be the ideal outcome for them. Yeah. Oh, and, and I'm so grateful you brought that up. We were just talking about that yesterday on the show is, is so often, right? Us as business owners, we have a lot of our identity wrapped up in yep. the business right. and we're not quite sure how to reinvent ourselves. And, right. and, and I love the way you answer that question, right? How much do market conditions play into this? And, and they should play a role. We should be aware of them. We should look at them. But really what you want to pay attention to are what are your goals? Because if your goal is to spend more time with your family, why don't you start doing that today, right? Yeah. This whole idea of kicking everything down the road and saying, I'll get to that important stuff someday. And that to me doesn't make a lot of sense because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so, so I think letting your personal goals drive the exit is really what has to be there more than any market conditions. Yeah, and and and, and well, very well said. I I would go one step further in thinking about that is is if you know your 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 value, your your objective, what you want to do is spend more time with your family, then you know don't wait for the time to feel like you can do that figure out now, okay, how am I going to do that? Well, maybe I need, to, I either need to see fewer patients, that may not be the right option, or I need to attract and bring somebody into the organization. How do I do that? Um, you know, depending on your geography, where you're located, some places are very easy to recruit professionals to, others are not. I was working with a uh, pedi pediatric medical practice in Southeastern New Mexico. I grew up there, um, rural, uh, not a lot of good stuff out there, not a, not a real attractive place. Unless you're from there or you have roots, you generally don't want to go there. That's very different to recruit there than it is in a place like Denver, Colorado. Yeah. So, um, you know, but, but if we, the sooner we address that, even if you don't know how, let's help you figure that out. Now's the time to begin to do that. That's why time is your friend. You can do the transition then on your terms rather than whatever the uh, environment's going to dictate for you. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, when we when we kicked off the show, we talked about you being an NCAA uh, college right. football official. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's actually a tie-in to some, some exit planning, isn't there? And some of those skills actually come over and actually help you be an even better exit planner, don't they? You know, it's it's funny from a skill standpoint. Uh, I I get reminded of this all the time. And in fact, I was at a, a men's group this morning that it came up again, and and it was all about uh, how do you how do you maintain um, uh, emotional uh, uh, congruency? Uh, you know, level level emotions, mm. uh, not getting angry. And and you know, my comment was, you know, when people are are frustrated uh, when they're not sure. Uh, um, you know where they're going what's happening it's not going their way okay that often gets uh manifested by uh you know uh, frustration anger and on the football field what that means is that players start uh doing cheap shots doing pushing and shoving after the plays over uh start talking at each other mm -hmm. and, and that is a big part of of my job as an official i'm in the middle of the field is the game management and uh, we get graded as as college football officials on every play, by the way. So when you're when you're looking and going, gosh, that guy's what's what's going crazy with that? Uh, understand, we get graded on every play if we're in the correct position. 
if we're uh, if we throw a flag, was it considered a correct call? If we uh, or an incorrect call, which is really bad, by the way, uh, better to not have a call and miss a call from a grading standpoint than to have an incorrect call. We graded on every single play. We don't care what the score of the game is. We don't care who's winning. We don't care if we miss something and try to make it up somewhere else because that's going to get us downgraded, which is going to keep us from getting post-season um, uh, assignments, bowl games, uh, or uh, keep us in the conference or allow us to graduate to, to bigger conferences or, or wherever that may go. So it, it's real interesting from when you look at that. But I'll tell you from the, the game management standpoint, uh, when, when players – become frustrated when there is uh, anger, when they they're frustrated. Okay. And I would say this could be for a business owner. They um, don't know where, where to go. They're, they're, they're insecure about where the future may be. Um, and, and, and they're frustrated about what might be happening because they're, they're not sure where to, where to turn from the game management standpoint, the game turns into a crap show. And nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to watch a game that just deteriorates. Nobody wants to do that. They they don't want to see a lot of flags. They don't want to see, you know, just they want to see good play and excitement. Uh, so, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to keep people in an even kill, uh, starting from, from beginning to end. Uh, my, my mother-in-law, you know, bless her heart, <laughs> she, she watches football, doesn't totally understand you know, first couple of plays, if something big happens, oh, this game's going to be a runway, isn't runaway, isn't it? Especially in college, you know, you can be 50 points ahead at halftime and still lose the game. So you've got to be consistent throughout. You've got to keep that steady. And you got to execute from a, 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 a player standpoint, a team standpoint. you got to execute a plan. You come up with a game plan about how you're going to defeat this other team. Um, the best laid plans are useless if you don't execute them. So then it's about we're implementing, we're executing what we're doing, and then we should have a good result. And I think from a from a uh, business planning consulting standpoint, from a transition planning, it's about having the end in mind that when uh, having a plan and then and then executing that plan and along the way, keeping a cool head, uh, ebbing and flowing as you need to, but managing that situation so you don't get sidetracked. Yeah. Oh, such such powerful thoughts. And and I know I'm certainly walking away with, once again, just a much better understanding of why time is your friend when you're looking to exit, right? The the more time you have to do the planning, to, to get ready, to put those puzzle pieces in place, actually, the more you're going to enjoy it too, because you've been planning, you've been getting ready for this. And I certainly have more insights into the planning process and, and an awareness of, of some of the things to be looking at. And I certainly feel excited about the future for everyone's business and really helping them maximize their value so that your lifetime of hard work can pay off. Carrie, thank you for sharing so generously with for us. Any, yeah. any closing thoughts before we sign off here? You know, it's just a uh, kind of a sign off. Uh, if if what we do is something that, you know, could be a benefit, you know, reach out to us, reach out through Tim. Uh, we, we work as an extension of what the, the work that Tim is doing uh, to talk with us uh, to to see if it could be a good fit. There's no charge for that. Uh, we get to know you. We get to scope out uh, a potential project. And if it makes sense, we make a proposal to work together. If not, we're going to offer to be friends and, and be a resource for you in the future. Uh, but, you know, more than anything, I just want to leave everyone with the, the idea that, you know, you need to be thinking about where you're headed here. You don't have to do it alone. You've got some trusted people who can help you to do that. Let's just reach out and start having a conversation.
Mm. Well, hey, thank you, Carrie. And I've put your contact information below. But where can we find you? Where can we get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so my e direct email is Carrie, C-A-R-Y, at calamathconsultinggroup.com. Um, I would certainly encourage you to check out our website, uh, Calamath Consulting Group. Uh, we're the only one that's close to that. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a lot, there's, there's a few good resources, some case studies, some, you know, thinking about, uh, uh, you know, your transition, but, uh, uh, you know, reach out through there. I think that'd be a great place. Uh, based from there, we have an opportunity to share some more specific content, white papers we've authored, newsletters, so forth that could be appropriate to your situation. Excellent. Well, hey, thank you again for sharing and thank all of you for tuning in. Hope you found this helpful and, and really start that planning. Reach out, having the conversation, you, right? Even if you don't move forward with any of it, you're going to walk away with a much clearer understanding. And the more clarity you can gain in life, the better off you're going to be. That, 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 that's always a win in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Tim. You're welcome. And we'll see you here soon on the Dental Wealth Nation show. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 